You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. All right, welcome back to Long Crime, everybody. I'm Jesse Weber, and thanks for joining us. We're waiting to jump back live into the Alec Murdoch trial, the man accused of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul on their property in June 2021. Right now, it is all about the defendant's cell phone, and I want to break that down. I'm joined by two special guests. I think we're working on getting forensic death investigator Joseph Scott Morgan on, but right now we do have with us criminal defense attorney and host of the Defense Diaries podcast, Bob Mata. Bob, good to see you. Thanks for coming on. So we've, we've heard a lot of interesting testimony today about Alec Murdoch's cell phone, something that is usually attached to us. We've learned about A, which I thought was really interesting, that the calls that he allegedly made to Maggie were wiped away from his call log. The reason we know those exist, because if you look at her call log, they exist. That's A. B, we learned about the recorded steps with the phone, which A, you know, it makes me wonder if these steps were happening when he said he had was taking a nap at the house and why there are so many steps at really curious moments and also about how many messages he read and when he read them. What are you taking away from this testimony? To me, uh, it's the strongest evidence they've put forth so far. I mean, it, it's it's damning in the sense that it, it looks like there's way too much going on. But, you know, I mean, when, when you look at the amount of steps that were taken, it just doesn't look like the guy was calling his wife. So it, it's going to be problematic. I mean, they're going to have to try to dismantle the defense. Uh, it's going to have to try to dismantle what's what's going on with this because it, it, it stinks of impropriety, to say the least. Um, and I'm a defense attorney. If I was his attorney, I'd be concerned about that. But, you know, they can't be shocked about it either. They, this isn't as much as his attorney seemed to have a hard time understanding yesterday during the testimony exactly what the codes meant. Um, you know, this isn't a shock for them. I'm, I'm anticipating that they'll have some kind of way to try to offset what I consider to be very damaging evidence. So again, just to give you an idea, Joseph, 74 steps recorded between 8.05 and 8.09, 283 steps recorded between 9.02 and 9.06 is when we believed after the killings happened. And then at 9.08 is when Alec Murdoch texts his wife saying he's going to go see his mother. What stands out to you? Well, I, th I think that, you know, it, it, it does, uh, our colleague mentioned smacking of impropriety. You know, you begin to think about uh, his actions, uh, uh, certainly leading up, but then afterwards, um, you know, and what, how, how in the world would, would these things be wiped on his end? I do know this, I've gotten a peek at that potential witness list in this case, and it is rather robust on the defensive side relative to electronic evidence. I think that that's, that's something that we're going to be seeing uh, because, um, you know, as was mentioned, um, this is a fire that the defense is going to have to put out. They're going to have to address it. And one other thing, I, um, prosecution is going to have to do a very good job of keeping this very simple, 
not getting into the weeds with a lot of the technical data, but really preaching to the jury about what this means in a very basic level. Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Crime Analyst and the Intelligence Cell. In this episode, I'm going to continue to deconstruct the micro-timeline using the data. And yes, this is damning and important evidence, and how this evidence is presented for a jury to understand is incredibly important, particularly when there's so much data and information, which there is in this case, and I believe the prosecutor, Creighton Waters, did a great job at the timeline, as did Special Agent Peter Radovsky. So I'm going to dive straight back in. Where I left off in part nine, it was established via phone data that Maggie arrived at Mazelle at 8.17pm in 14 seconds. Both Maggie and Paul would be dead within the hour. And so the window of time is much shorter than you may have been led to believe from listening to Alec Murdoch's three interviews with SLED. Here's a quick reminder of what he told SLED on June the 7th. What was their schedule today? When did they get home? My son works for my brother, and he was coming home to deal with the sunflowers. Um, uh, he got here. Uh, he got here pretty early because he and I rode around looking at everything for a good little while, probably... 45 minutes to an hour. Um, Maggie had things she did in Charleston, and um, she had a doctor's appointment in Charleston. And she got back here. It was fairly late. Was it dark yet when Paul got home? No, Paul got home early. Early, okay. So before dinner time? Or oh, yes, ma'am. Lunchtime? Or? No, ma'am. <laughs> Murdoch said he and Paul rode around for 45 minutes to an hour. He also gave the impression in the June 10th interview that it was for a protracted period of time. Here's a reminder of what he said on June the 10th. So you, you went to the office, you did, you know, some motions. Uh, what time did you leave the office? I left a little bit earlier than normal because my son Paul was coming home. Okay. Because um, he had not been with us during the weekend. And he was coming home. We were going to um, we were going to replant some sunflowers the next day. Okay. And so he was calibrating, doing, and getting everything ready. Um, so he got home a little early. I left a little early, so he and I could knock around, and we knocked around for, you know, just doing things we like to do out there. Okay. You know, we're riding around looking at. Um, um, food plots, looking, you know, look, looking for hogs, a little bit of target shooting, just bullshitting. Yeah. You said Paul wasn't with you over the weekend. Where does he, does he live with you at the house on Moselle? Well, I mean, that's his home, but yeah. he has an apartment in Columbia. Okay. Um, and he goes to Charleston a lot of weekends with his buddies. Okay. And, and. He had been in Charleston for the weekend. Okay. And then Paul works for my brother, John, this mm -hmm. is out here. You met John. Yes, so Paul works for him. So Paul uh, decided to go to, he went to spend the night with 
my brother, his uncle John, they were very, very close. Okay. Um, Sunday night. Okay. And then he worked for John Marvin, and he came home Monday afternoon. Okay. About roughly what time in the afternoon? You know, I would think it'd be somewhere in the five o'clock range. A little bit. It was. It was broad daylight when we were. It wasn't dust dark or late okay you know and we rode uh you know we just rode around we rode mm-hmm. around our dove field looking at how the corn was doing he he had um he and i had planted corn in the dove field and he planted the corn in the duck pond and he was you know showing me how much better his corn was doing than mine was <laughs> and um we rode around the duck pond i mean we just you know we rode the property yes sir you know we just we rode the property um, then, you know, I mean, we, we rode around so much, um, we just rode okay. uh, probably uh, we, uh, it was a yeah. good little while. It was yeah. more than 20 minutes yeah. or 30 minutes. Okay. And, you know, was it two hours? I don't know. I'd say it was more than an hour probably. Really wasn't keeping track of time. Uh, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't getting dark. Mama wasn't home yet. She had gone to a doctor's appointment. Um, so, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> just out of curiosity, target practice, what about you? Just a little bottle. You, you, you mean what gun? Yeah. A 22 okay. Magnum. Rat shot. I think, no, it wasn't yeah. rat shot. I think he shot, I think he shot two times and I shot one time. Okay. So after y'all got finished riding around, try to take me through the rest of the evening. All right. Um, you know, at some point we were all back at the house together. Mm-hmm. Um, Maggie had gotten home and, you know, we sat down, we ate supper, which we usually eat supper together. Um, so um, the one thing I remember, I don't know how much detail y'all want. So if I start talking about something that, you don't need just tell me and i'll move to something else the, the more detail the better sir. so paul has been having um high blood pressure mm-hmm. and his mama was worried sick about it so we were actually you know this was a, a direct thing getting him he doesn't like to go to doctors making him go get his blood pressure checked his feet had swollen up recently wow so you know that was it, it was a, it was a, a big huge deal. Okay. Uh, you know, we hung around the house for a little while. Uh, I know that Maggie went to the kennels. Um, I don't know exactly where Paul went, but he left the house too. Okay. How did Maggie get down to the kennels? I don't know exactly, but on normal occasions she would drive drive a buggy, drive a four wheeler, or very common for her to walk. Okay. Good grief, Murdoch loves to obfuscate. He does not like to answer questions, particularly about time. And notice how he increased the time by throwing in the was it two hours question. And then he said that they had dinner. Also notice how he managed to distract and get off the timeline too. He's very good at deflecting, distracting and obfuscating. Now here's a reminder of what he said to Sergeant Daniel Green, who was the first officer on the scene wearing the body-worn camera. When was the last time you were here with them? 
or talk to them or anything like that? Um. It was earlier tonight. Uh, I, don't, I don't know the exact time, but okay. I left. I was probably gone an hour and a half from my mom's, and I saw them about 45 minutes before that. Okay. I rode around with Paul for two hours this afternoon in the, in the pickup truck. That's your son, Paul? Okay. Somebody going to check them? Yes, sir. They, they've already checked them. They did check them? Yes, sir. It's official that they're dead? Yes, sir. That's what it looks like. Mm. Murdoch very clearly stated that he drove around for two hours with Paul that afternoon in the pickup truck. That's not possible. We know from the car data that Murdoch got to Moselle at 6.42pm and 54 seconds. We also know that Murdoch's phone was dark for an hour up until 9.02pm, just after Maggie and Paul were killed. That's significant. And it's even more significant when paired with Murdoch's steps data, the data detailing his estimated steps per minute. And yes, iPhones capture this data, and I'm going to get into all of it in this episode. So let's dive back into the timeline, where I left off in part nine. Next, you'll hear from Special Agent Peter Radovsky explaining what else the data revealed about Maggie, Paul and Alec Murdoch's movements at Moselle the night of the double murder. Paul 808, Maggie 817. That is correct. Alex's last data point on his phone was 652, right? That is correct, based on the Verizon records. We have uh, at 8.17.44 p.m., do we have a battery reference for Paul? We do. It shows that his um, iPhone was at 4% battery life at that time. As we continue forward, do we see Paul continue to use this phone? We do. At 8.19, or I'm sorry, 8.17 to 8.18, what, if anything, do we see on Maggie's phone? We're showing approximately 38 steps taken during that time frame. Right. And that would be after her phone disconnects from the Mercedes? That, that's correct. 8.19 p.m., what do we see on Paul's phone? Um, we see that he connects to a uh, PRTC Wi-Fi and that he receives a Snapchat message from uh, Ansley Wilson stating he got the magic touch. He also sends uh, another outgoing text message or Snapchat message. Right. Now, PRTC, his phone connects to PRTC. What is PRTC? So PRTC is going to be the local um, internet telephone provider for this area. Right. So it's just it's just showing a Wi-Fi connection. And was PRTC, to your knowledge, providing services to Moselle Road? To the they were there providing services to the main house and then the cabin. All right, going below that, we have a series of communications. And whose communications are these going sort of back and forth, a series of communications? This is going to be Paul Murdaugh's um, series of communications. And I'm not going to read each one or have you read each one, but are these generally communications going back and forth with his friends? That is correct. <clears throat> and on this page, they start about what time and continue through about what time? Start around uh, 8.23 and go all the way to 8.29. Well, I think we keep on going down. Yeah, about 8.30. It's about 823 to 830. All right, at 830 to 833 p.m., what, if anything, do we see on Maggie's phone? 
We're showing that her phone took approximately 42 steps traveled during that time period. And that starts at what time that Maggie's phone starts reflecting steps? Uh, 8.30 p.m. About 8.30. Going on to the next page, page 17. Going back just real quick on uh, page 16, uh, generally that series of communications with Paul and his friends, is he generally responding fairly quickly to the communications back and forth? He is either, you know, it's their Snapchat and iMessages. He's responding and using those two applications very frequently. At, now we're at the top of page 17 at 8.31 p.m. Uh, describe to the jury generally what this uh, data entry is. So this is going to be a, a group message from John Marvin Murdaugh. It's talking about how they're planning to go visit um, their dad tomorrow. They're asking if anyone else is going. Listed here, everyone that's in that group message. And that's generally a number of family members? That is correct. And the dad they're referring to is who? Um, it's going to be Alex's dad. Mr. Randolph? That is correct. And based on your knowledge of the investigation, he had, had a turn for the worst health-wise around this time? That is correct. All right, well, let's talk about that uh, very quickly. That did the defendant receive, or did his phone receive that text? His phone and Maggie's phone both received the text message. And did the defendant ever read that text, according to the phone at least? According to the phone, it was not read until the following day, uh, 6 8 of 21, at 1 p.m. And that text came in at what time? Uh, 8.31 on the dot. And did Maggie read that text right away, at least according to the phone? Her phone? Uh, she did not. Right. And when did she, her phone, finally read that text? Around 8.49.26. What time? 8.49.26 is when Maggie read that text. 8.49? At 8.31, what, if any, uh, do we... Uh, Entry that we see. So at the eight thirty one fifteen, Maggie Murdaugh's phone unlocks and does um, orientation changes, and then at eight thirty one eighteen to eight forty nine twenty six, we show that her phone was locked. Um, at eight thirty one, there's an orientation change. Uh, was her? Does the data re reflect that her phone was unlocked at that period of time? That is correct. All right. And then what happens after that at 8.31 and 18 seconds? Um, her, her device is locked until 8.49.26. 8.49.26, is that correct? 8.49.26. All right. I want to tell you about my sponsor, Factor. Factor makes healthy eating easy. And health and fitness starts with good food. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. 
So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Fuel up fast with Factors, restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. I've had the chicken parmesan and the turkey chili and zucchini, and they're delicious and I highly recommend them. Factor is flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Now, they've done the maths and Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash crimeanalyst50 and use code crimeanalyst50 to get 50% off. That's code crimeanalyst50 at factormills, F-A-C-T-O-R, factormills.com slash crimeanalyst50 to get 50% off. Let's talk makeup for a moment. What's your daily makeup routine? Are you an out of the door with a messy bun, a mascara vibe? Or are you coiffed to the max? Or maybe you're somewhere in between like me. Thrive Cosmetics beauty products are certified 100% vegan and cruelty free. Made with clean skin loving ingredients, high performance and trademark formulas and uncompromising standards. Thrive Cosmetics Bigger Than Beauty mission is amazing. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. I love that Thrive Cosmetics supports domestic violence victims, breast cancer survivors, and women who are emerging from homelessness. It's a beauty brand and a philosophy that goes beyond skin deep by empowering women. Did you know the first product they launched were false eyelashes, which was motivated by the fact that cancer patients lose their eyelashes? How amazing is that? I love their new sheer strength lip plumping peptide gloss. It gives you a visibly fuller looking, luscious lips without fillers or uncomfortable stinging sensations. It's also ultra hydrating and there are 10 shades to choose from which enhance your natural lips, six shines and four shimmers. Support and empower women and treat yourself or a loved one. Thrive Cosmetics is a luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash crimeanalyst. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash crimeanalyst for 20% off your first order. At 8.32... 25, we have an entry in green and then a line going down. Can you explain to the jury that those time periods and what, if any, significance they have? So green is going to reflect Paul Murdaugh. Anytime you see him green, it's going to be Paul, and purple is going to be Maggie. That's reflecting that his iPhone moved approximately 283 steps during that time period. So on the left-hand side, as we go down, and you're going to see other data entry points, if you see the green next to it, that means that those steps are being traveled during those at that time frame. And now we have a phone as that. This is also going to be Paul Murdaugh's, um, and this is going to be his iPhone location data. All right, and where is that iPhone location data located? Um, that's going to be at the kennel, kennel area of the property. All right. And tell me the time periods that he is at the kennels at this point in time. At this point in time, he's at the kennels at 8.38.07 p.m., 
844.55 and 844.56. What happens at 840 while Paul's phone is at Kells? Paul calls Rogan Gibson. It shows answered for four minutes and 14 seconds. Starting at what time? 8.40.20. If you have about a four-minute call, what time does that end? 8.44. At 8.44.34, what, if anything, does Paul's phone indicate? So at 8.44.34, um, Paul Murdaugh initiates a FaceTime video call with Rogan Gibson. It shows answered 11 seconds long. And that's based off of Paul and Rogan's information. And then at 844.55, what does it reflect on Paul's phone? This is when this video was um, extracted and created through Paul's phone, which shows Alex, Maggie, and well, you can hear Alex, Maggie, and Paul in the background. That's the kennel video at that's 844. A, that's the kennel video that's been in previous testimony, correct? Following below that, at 847 and 848, does Paul continue to communicate with his phone? He does. He uses the iMessage feature in his phone to uh, send a couple messages to Megan Kimbrell. It looks like it's based off of movie recommendations. Those communications for 10 minutes or just for a couple of minutes or a minute or so? A couple of minutes, a minute or so. Going to the top of page 19. Mm -hmm. What time do we see there? 848.29. And what's going on? What's Paul doing? He's receiving a message from Megan. And um, we have some backlight on data at 848.56. All right. And the next entry, tell me the time periods for that entry. 848.58 to 849.01. All right. And what happens there? Paul Murdaugh's phone is, that's the last time that it was unlocked. Ever? Ever. <coughs> Eight forty nine oh one. And the next activity that we'll see on Paul's phone occurred when? Uh, we have a backlight off from eight forty nine to <coughs> going back to eight forty eight to eight forty nine oh one. You said yep. that was when Paul's phone was last unlocked? That is correct. And continue on with that data entry, what does it indicate? What's the next time ever that Paul's phone shows any activity? 1018. That's when. And the 848 to 849 p.m. I'm sorry, next activity notification is going to be the Rogan Gibson call at 958.35. That's the next time that any activity or notification shows up on his phone.
looking at this entry with the green line on the right side, what are those, those time periods there and what do they represent starting at 849.01? Starting at 849.01 to 1034.23, Paul's phone shows device locked. Was it ever open again until it died at 1034.23? It was not. 849.01 is the last time before that that Paul had ever unlocked his phone. That is correct. Just a few seconds later, does Maggie's phone reflect any activity? It does. 849.26, so approximately 26 seconds later, her phone unlocks for text message notification and it implements an orientation change. And was that that text message about Mr. Randolph that you earlier referred to? That is correct, that group message. I believe it was in response to Lynn. And at 84931, here in red, what happens to Maggie's phone? Just seconds later. Maggie Murdaugh's phone locks forever. Forever. Until when? Until it's recovered the next day at 1.10 p.m. On June 8th. On June 8th by law enforcement. Do both Maggie's and Paul's phone lock forever around 8.49? They do. At 849.35, does Paul's phone receive a text from anyone? It does. It receives a text from Rogan Gibson. And what does that text say? See if you can get a good picture of it. Mary Ann, referring to his girlfriend, wants to see, wants to send it to a girl we know that's a vet. Tell him to sit and stay, and he shouldn't move around too much. That shows unread. You never read that? Never read it. According to the investigation, is that the conversation that Paul and Rogan were actively engaged in starting at 840? That is correct. The kennel video was at what time? 844. And the defendant repeatedly denied that he was ever at those kennels with the victims just minutes before their phones go silent forever. Objection. Basis for the objection. Leading. Leading. Uh, don't leave your witness. Restate the question. Did the defendant repeatedly deny ever being at the kennels at that yes. time period? Yes, he did. Various interviews with law enforcement. Was that kennel video? What time was that kennel video? 844. And what time do Paul and Maggie's phones go silent forever? Eight. Objection is overruled. 849 is when their phones went silent forever. At 853, do we see any activity on Maggie's phone? We do. At this time, as you can see to the right, her phone is locked. But we do see that um, 59 steps were traveled over the period of 853 to 855. And that just means the phone was moving, correct? That is correct. 
Do we see some orientation changes as well? We do. Between uh, 8.53.08 and 8.55.32, we see uh, various orientation changes, which would indicate someone has the phone based on previous testimony. Moving on to page 20, at the top we have 855 and we have a reference to a data point. Can you explain that to the jury, whose phone that is, and just generally what that is based on information gathered in the investigation? 85548? 85548, yes, sir. That's just a uh, internal application running in the background for Maggie Murdaugh's phone. It's just um, the iPhones will take a random snapshot of what's going on in the phone. So that's just reflecting that there was some, you know, behind the scenes stuff happening in her phone. It's not saying that someone was actively using it. Hold on for me just real quick. Right here at the bottom of page 13, uh, we have a reference to stuff data on Alex's phone. That's correct. And what are those time periods? 805.35 to 809.52, it's showing 54 steps traveled. All right. Turn into page 20. <clears throat> What suddenly happens to Alex's phone around 9.02? Pretty much wakes up. And what data point is reflected? From 9.02.18 p.m. to 9.06.47, it shows 283 steps traveled. And how long? How many minutes, roughly? Five minutes. Five, six minutes. I'm going to show you what's been marked as Exhibit 521, your testimony, and see if you recognize that. I do. And tell me what that is, please. This is going to be a paste spreadsheet for Paul Murdaugh, Maggie Murdaugh, and Alex Murdaugh that I created. All right. Your Honor, this time I would offer States 521 into evidence. No objection. Submit it. And General, if I could have the screen. All right, tell the jury real quick, as we look at this exhibit, just admitted, uh, just generally, we have at the top, tell, tell them quickly what this is and what these columns represent. Explain this chart, if you would. First column entry, that's just going to be from all the various um, entries from the phone data. We have a start time, we have a end time, we have the time elapsed in between the estimated amount of steps, and then we have a steps per minute calculation, which is going to be the far right. 
and the steps, those are the data entries in this timeline that you've been testifying to as reflected from the phone data? That is correct. And then the last co column is just a simple calculation of steps based on the time periods of those readings. That is correct. And the last step readings that we have on Paul's phone are from what time to what time? The last step reading from Paul's phone is 8.32 to 8.42. We have one for Maggie as well, is that correct? We do. Her last um, time frame is going to be 8.53 to 8.55. And then down at the bottom, who do we have? This is going to be Alex Murdaugh's pace spreadsheet. Let's talk about this a little bit. If you would, start with entry 21. And what time periods is that? And this is Alex's phone, correct? This is going to be Alex Murdaugh's um, phone. Right, time period? Uh, 6.52 to 7.02. How many steps? Approximately 283. And how many steps per minute based on a simple math calculation? Estimated 29.34. Alright, 22, time period, steps, and steps per minute. 703 to 711, approximately 165 steps, estimated 19.20 steps per minute. 24. 24 is going to be 728 to 737, approximately 47 steps, and estimated 5.46 steps per minute. 25. 741 to 748, showing 29 Approximately 29 steps, 3.97 steps per minute. 26. 26 is showing 755 to 805. 270 steps, approximately uh, 28.2 steps per minute. 28. 28 is going to be the 805 to 809. It's showing approximately 74 steps at 17.28 steps per minute. And as you testified, that was the last entry on Alex's phone before we get to the 9 o'clock hour. Is that correct? That is correct. And what time was the video again? 8.44 p.m. Let's talk about 27. What's the time period there? Time period to be 9.02 to 9.06. How many steps? 283 steps. 70.75 steps per minute, estimated. He was a busy guy right then, wasn't he? It appears. Was that, what was the average steps per minute from 902 to 906? 70.75. Was that far in excess of any ratings on his phone in those prior entries? According to this, uh, Table, yes. Have the uh, computer back again, please. That's just so interesting to me because it's not just about what Murdoch's steps were on their own, it's about the context and comparing them with the rest of his steps activity and data from that night. And I'll get to the steps data momentarily. Other things that stand out to me, well, I can infer from the data that Paul was on his phone most of the time he was at Moselle. He was texting, calling and posting things. Also, he responded quickly to people that night. And then all activity ceases. His phone goes dark and locks at 8.49pm and one second. 
Just a few seconds later, at 8.49pm and 26 seconds, Maggie's phone unlocks for a text message notification, and then her phone locks forever. Both their phones lock within seconds of each other at 8.49pm. At 8.49pm and 35 seconds, Rogan sent Paul a message about getting a picture of Cash, the dog, but that message went unread. Now, as I've just said, given how prolific Paul was on the phone and how quick he was to respond to people that evening, it's most likely Paul and Maggie were killed on or around 8.50pm. Remember, Murdoch's voice was captured on Paul's phone at 8.44pm at the kennels, just minutes before they were killed. We also know that Murdoch repeatedly lied about being up at the kennel that night when asked by law enforcement. Now clearly, these lies serve a purpose. Otherwise, why lie? Now the data can't tell us why he lied, but they can expose his lies, and then he can be asked direct questions about those lies, which is exactly what happened at trial. Now conversely, whilst Murdoch was at Moselle, he was not on his phone. Even to respond to his own family messaging about his ill father, who had just been taken into hospital. The very concern he called Maggie over to Mazelle for. I mean, what could be more important than that? Significantly, between 9.02pm and 18 seconds and 9.06pm and 47 seconds, Murdoch's phone comes back to life, recording 283 steps. The steps data you heard Special Agent Radovsky detail shows that's roughly 70 steps a minute for about four minutes, which was well over the pace he had walked any other time that evening. Now, unfortunately, exactly where he was walking wasn't captured, but it is significant when comparing it, again, with his other activity that night and when putting context of the events. Of course, in Murdoch's retelling, he had a leisurely nap and then woke up. But the data showed that he got very busy, as Creighton Wharton said, and was moving around at speed, making a lot of calls, and his car data shows he was driving at speed. So what was the rush? Where was the fire? Why the urgency on a Monday night? You're going to hear Murdoch questioned about exactly this, and you'll hear for yourself what he had to say. But that's next week. Until then, be curious. Ask questions and always trust your instincts. Here's my final thought and ask before the episode wraps. I really appreciate you listening to Crime Analyst. And if you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to me. It really helps others find me and my work, and it helps with the ratings too. Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Jason Sheasley at Abridged Audio. Cover art and graphics by Chris Rowbottom at Syndicate. And music by Kilrude.